From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. There seems to be a general distrust of news these days. I'm not telling you anything new. But the latest confirmation of that comes from the New York Times in an article written by Sabrina Tavernisi, which is headlined, No One Believes Anything. Voters worn out by a fog of political news. And Sabrina, what had me especially concerned is that you write about, uh, I believe the quote is, a general exhaustion with news itself. So tell me what this is based on. Well, Dave, this is a look at just how much information Americans are being asked to process these days. It just, you know, it's coming from everywhere in their Facebook feeds, uh, online, um, you know, far more than the old days when we had Walter Cronkite and people thought about the news once a day and everybody was sort of on the same page. So there's been this sort of general tsunami. Um, and that has been quite difficult for people to process. Um in addition to the fact that there's so much more opinion news and uh, and really there's a lot of kind of, um, uh, you know, this proliferation of sort of manipulative and, and fake things, people just feel this general exhaustion at having to sort through it all and are increasingly tuning things out. And that's a, a worrying kind of risky point for any democracy to reach. Now, this is based on a poll released last week. Was the poll specifically designed to survey whether people are fed up with news? So there were a bunch of different uh, data sources that we used for this piece. Um, There was some polling. There was some Pew surveys, basically finding that people say that they feel increasingly confused and overwhelmed by the proliferation of news sources. Uh, It's it's difficult to tell whether something is straight news or opinion. Uh, And sometimes it's difficult to tell whether something they read is actually true. So uh, it was a it was a bunch of different um, of different sources. There are some people who also said they they have just decided to tune out. I saw you quoted one guy who says he doesn't even bother with national news anymore. He focuses on local news because the national news just seems to be irrelevant to him. I think there's there's also something else going on, which is you know the national politics right now are pretty toxic. You know they are kind of in this stalemate. They It involves a lot of people being angry and yelling at each other. You know, there's an impeachment going on. Congress really um, is pretty non-functional at this point. And I think people look at that and say, okay, you know, I'm really not that political myself. Um, I have a busy life. I have my kids to feed. I have to go to my two jobs. Um, I don't really want to get into that. I don't want to have to um, risk being, you know, shamed or or yelled at by someone in my Facebook feed if I uh, venture an opinion about what's happening nationally. So I'm just going to I'm just going to stop. And um, if I want to be a public citizen, I will do something locally that I feel like will have maybe more of an impact. Yeah. And that's legitimate. But I would hate to see people put down The New York Times or stop listening to Cairo Radio or other sources like that, because the whole reason that we exist is to be that source of news uh, that isn't made up. And why is that a difficult distinction for people? I mean, to me, the the barometer uh, that I use is, well, first of all, is it an institution where if you wrote something that was deliberately inaccurate, you would get fired? On many of these websites, which is just clickbait, writing inaccurate stuff is the whole reason you're there. So obviously, it's going to screw things up. But the New York Times, you can't just 
post a false news story and think you're not going to get caught. Here at Cairo Radio, one of our reporters can't just make something up and think he's going to keep his job. So why is does the audience not appreciate that distinction? That's a really good question, Dave. And it is it does pain me, you know, as a, as a reporter that has to, you know, that I work so hard to try to get everything exactly right. Um, you know, that to, 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 to hear people talking, talking like this makes me really sad. But I think, I think the thing we have to keep in mind is that it's kind of coming along together with this general, really deep decline in trust in all public institutions. Uh, media is just one, uh, you know, one of the things that's going on. And, you know, people are um, increasingly skeptical and distrustful and they feel like, you know, they're, they're becoming cynical about uh, people's motivations and uh, and about people's politics. Um, yeah. And, you know, we try and you guys try really hard to convince your listeners and our readers that, you know, we're trying out there to look across at what is happening in American society and be very fair. Uh, but I think that we are in this very strange political moment in which, uh, you know, this extreme partisanship is just kind of tainting things. People don't believe me when I say I'm going to be fair. Um, yeah. uh, and that is, uh, that's just a really risky, hard, hard place to be. And I think also, you know, if you think about political leaders, um, they're, you know, for the most part, uh, men, not many, but 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 some are are not helping the situation. You know, there's this kind of, I mean, the the president himself has has kind of, um, you know, keeps coming back to this theme of these, you know, these lying, cheating reporters and how right. they're just out to get me and and um, and you know, that's obviously a very big, complicated topic. But um, when you're a leader of the country and you're saying and repeating over and over and over again that these people are, are lying. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's even more erosion of public trust. I mean, that's where that leads. Um, that's what I saw in Russia in the 1990s and it does not end up in a good place. It's, it's a pretty dark road. Well, I think even the president's supporters understand that they have to vet how serious his latest statement is. And I think that they are, they sort of adapt themselves to his language. Plus, we we expect politicians to lie, whatever side we're on. But an institution like the the New York Times, for example, how do you deal with that? Because you, I mean, you got to get clicks too. By the way, I'm a subscriber. You have to get oh, clicks thank too. Thank you so much. But, but, <laughs> I should I should take you for beers. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. I'm grateful. <laughs> well, by it sounds like you're doing okay. I mean, you do a lot of what I would call uh, expensive reporting where you, you don't have to do a 24 hour turnaround. I mean, you can spend weeks, even That's months right. going through a story, which is the costly part of journalism and the, and probably the most important right. part too. But, but then you have to decide how are you going to market that? So maybe for a subscriber, you could pull back the curtain and, <laughs> and tell us how you thread that needle uh, when selecting, for example, a headline, because people do a lot of headline scanning now when deciding what to read. How do you thread the needle um, to make sure your headline gets people to read the story, but also does not trick them into reading the story? Right. Well, you know, um, gosh, for for ages, headlines were always um, copy editors' jobs, not uh, reporters' jobs. So this is actually a relatively new universe for me. Um, I find headline writing very hard. Um, you know, it has to be true, it ha- but it has to be kind of uh, active and 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 really kind of 
uh, it does need to try to draw the reader in. I mean, I would say just sort of more generally about how to get readers you know, you're exactly right that, you know, long, longer um, kind of investigative projects or longer projects, um, they're expensive to do because you're spending a lot of time and not, you know, producing very much or producing one thing at the end. Um, that is, uh, I've, in my experience, readers have been actually, uh, they respond actually very well to stories that are deeper and more complicated. Now, that sounds surprising because, you know, we think of the 24-hour news cycle and tweets and everything is so short and quick. And But I think that that in all of that, there's actually been this general hunger for really meaty, deeper stories that go further down into the culture and into the society. And, you know, I have had many, many people write and say, Oh, thank you so much for not giving me a cartoon. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a real story of a real person and people are complicated and they're not only in one box or only in another box. And I think for me, that's how I sort of see my um, my mandate at this point is to show people, you know, you might think this, but look at this, you know, the country is so complicated. People are so complicated and we need to keep that in mind. We must not always um, make assumptions and, and just believe that they're true. Well, that's good, because what you're saying is there is a market for the kind of detailed journalism the New York Times and the Post and these other big institutions uh, specialize in. And uh, and good, I'm, I'm happy to hear that, because if the Internet is used in that way, then it's fantastic. It makes great journalism more available and accessible and easy to read uh, than ever. What, though, do you do about those institutions that are not motivated by that? I think the general consensus is, and I've talked to, there's some studies uh, going on at the University of Washington here in Seattle about that. They have found, I'm sad to say, that the whole idea of fact-checking tends to backfire because when you Hmm. fact-check a conspiracy theory, you have to begin by spelling out that conspiracy theory. And then people say, ah, well, of course, of course the deep state is going to uh, say that this conspiracy theory is is bogus, but now that I've read it, I believe it. You know, so how does a, an institution like the New York Times uh, go up against this trend to make stuff up? Uh, I think it's so so difficult. Um, I mean, you're right. The fact checking a conspiracy theory. Um, you know, if you're deeply dug into a conspiracy theory, there's probably no fact check that's going to pry you out of that. Um, so it's almost it feels almost like we've come to this point where, you know, people are are so dug into their positions. Uh, it's 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 how, how do we how do we you know, what can we even do to 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 help anybody understand what's really going on. I mean, you know, we've been having this ongoing conversation about impeachment and how to cover impeachment and what do people think. And, you know, my story about people not believing anything was in part because, you know, we we wanted to say something about impeachment, but it's almost feels like it's gotten to this place where people are so dug in on their political sides. And then the people in the middle are so exhausted by it all that it just feels like, you know, I mean, have we gotten to the point where it's, like a tree falling in the forest and no one's there to hear well, the it. People in the middle, like the we're people... writing these stories and writing these stories and, and do they, any of them have any effect, you know, I mean, but, but, you know, that's, that's a very deeply cynical place to be. That's certainly a place, you know, that Russia found itself in the late 1990s. I, I don't think that we're really there yet, but um, how do you combat, you know, the, 
the um, the fake stuff. You know, I think we just have to hope that that we as a society will reach a place where we are not so vulnerable to stuff like that because we'll be more sophisticated users of the Internet. Uh, that maybe won't happen tomorrow or in the next 10 years, but maybe, you know, my kids will be more sophisticated users. I mean, I certainly uh, experienced that in, in reporting generally that, you know, people in their 60s, 70s and 80s. Um, are much more likely to believe pretty much anything that they see on their Facebook feeds than people in their, you know, 20s and 30s. Um, I just think it's going to be a long road and we need to have sort of, you know, internet health and safety rules of the road and and eventually people will become sophisticated and learn that. But but at this point, it's really quite, you know, we're right in the middle of the transition. It's just sort of a wild west and, you know, we're doing the best we can. But um, uh, at the end of the day, uh, it might not be enough. People in the middle have the real problem because they have to read twice as much as everybody else. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. I, I one of my one of my people in the middle said, "I feel like it's become my day job. I, I just can't. I don't have enough. I don't have time to sort through it all. I mean, what am I supposed to believe? There's all these things kind of, you know, being thrown at me, lobbed um, for an effort at my attention, and I I think I basically trust the New York Times. So maybe I'll just maybe I'll just settle with them. They'll they'll curate stuff for me. But so you know, we're lucky to have her. We're lucky to have you. Yes. But um, you know, there are a lot of um, there are a lot of people out there who say, hmm, I don't think I, I, I do trust the New York Times. And that's, you know, we want to uh, try to um, convince them that they should. But but it's just a very strange, soupy world out there right now. And it's all changing very quickly with with social media. You referenced the Soviet Union a couple of times. Did you, uh, or Russia, did you cover the Soviet Union in the 90s? I did. I was there from 1994 to 2003. So I very much mm-hmm. saw their kind of, you know, initial almost dreamlike state, the sort of waking up after 70 years of Soviet communism, uh, and then the sort of rough, raw, brutal capitalism of the 1990s, uh, and and really this proliferation of fake stuff out there, this proliferation of things online. Uh, you know, I remember at one point there was this incredibly brave um, series of stories, basically investigative project by one of the local papers um, to look at corruption in the uh, they were building a ring road out around Moscow and looking at corruption in that. And um, I remember going out that morning when the paper ran thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, is this going to be the downfall of the mayor? What's going to happen? This is going to be, you know, this is really a big deal. No one, no one thought anything of it. And I remember going around asking, you know, there's this incredibly, you know, important piece in the paper today. Did you see it? All this money has been stolen. And, you know, everybody sort of just they just shrugged and said, well, you know, probably some rich businessman paid that reporter to write that story because they didn't like the mayor. You know, everybody had an explanation that was everything other than maybe this could actually be true. So it really had no effect because the society had um, become so cynical that they just didn't that this was uh, falling on on. deaf ears. So that's, that's, that's the place I don't want us to, 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 to be in. Yeah. Well, we did, um, visits to the, what was in the Soviet Union in 87, 91, 92. And I remember 91, this was after the whole Yeltsin deal. Uh, yeah. when, when the fax machine was the uh, communication system of choice and, and suddenly <laughs> that's true. That lasted for a long time. <laughs> that's right. So that's, uh, well, there was a, um, a news agency named, uh, Something, something facts that grew out of that. Anyway, um, Interfax. Interfax. Interfax, yep. That's right. And I remember being in a, our, our hotel in what was then still Leningrad, and these political cartoons 
started coming out of the fax machine for the first time. And suddenly uh, people's eyes were opened, and uh, I, w- I would talk to you know anybody who would speak English, and they said, yeah, we can't, we, we don't believe anything our government says anymore. We, we can't go back. But, but their approach to it was, as you say, to accept that everything is corrupt, and we just get by on our own. So they got by on the black market. You know, they'd set up a stall on a, outside a subway station or something and, and slowly began to, you know, build this kind of crony capitalism that seems to, to rule the country now. And, uh, yeah, it is a pretty uncomfortable place because everybody's palm has to be greased for anything to happen. Yeah, that's right. And and, and it's also, you know, collective action is impossible. It's impossible to move forward as a society and make changes that the majority of the of the population wants because no one trusts each other. So it's a very, very hard, difficult place, I think, and cedes a lot of power to a small number of cronies of Putin. I mean, it, it's 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 essentially advocate ad, abdicates, uh, you know, uh, public citizen participation yeah. and and responsibility and that uh that means that um you know that means that putin and people around him uh basically really run the show yeah now do you keep in touch with anybody and uh, do you know how they feel about russia's attempts to <laughs> essentially bring us to their level oh you know i do we have some very dear friends we see pretty much every year I mean, they're sort of amused by it because they think, oh, my gosh, the mighty United States brought down by some crappy little Russian Internet company based in a basement in Leningrad. Like, we don't really <laughs> believe that's true. I mean, you know, I think, um, you know, the Russians try a lot of things and they're sort of like the, you know, the Russian government sort of like the bad kid in the back of the high school class. that's always kind of, you know, trying to yeah. piss people off. I think, you know, they think generally that. Yes, they maybe pioneered all of these things and that, yes, um, you know, various um, agents of the state or even not agents of the state tried various things in 2016. Um, They probably tried various things in previous elections as well. Um, But to assume that, you know, our mighty system was laid low by some Russian meddlers um, is uh, they think is uh, an exaggeration. Yeah. Well, the president agrees with them, so. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i don't know it's not something that i really write about you know the uh, russians meddling so i i just have no you know i have no reporting experience with that but um you know it does seem like we are in this very slippery dangerous new world in which you know pretty much anybody over the age of 50 will give a lot of credibility and believe a lot of what they see in their facebook feeds and that you know no matter what happens, that's going to be that's that's a pretty vulnerable position. We sort of need to get to a point in our society where we have a, a harder shell. We where we have a more of a kind of a healthy skepticism about what we're looking at. Sabrina Tavernisi writes for The New York Times and her latest piece is headlined. No one believes anything. Voters worn out by a fog of political news. Sabrina, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Dave. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. 
I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.